0: This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Hello, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is a podcast where we will study the Bible and the biblical covenant, and its deeper meanings. So, you know my question. Do you have your Bibles ready? If you do, let's get started. Now I'm going to turn it over to the pastor.
1: All right, thank you very much. We want to continue where we left off. In our previous studies, we laid out what we refer to as the circulatory system, of which we laid out seven phases to it, These seven phases were first dealt with in the type. Now we'll observe them in antitype. As we did in the type, let us follow the same procedure in the antitype. As we enter into the antitypical phases of the circulatory system, we'll take it step by step. Our first phase is that of confession, So we want to look at the confession stage uh, in the antitypical fulfillment as we did in the typical fulfillment. Now, the first of these we call the confessional phase. And so in the confessional phase, what we want to do is to turn to Leviticus chapter 4 and we want to Look at verse 4, Leviticus chapter 4, and also verse 4. And here we read in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 4. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahuwah, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before Yehorah. In this passage of scripture, we are told the process whereby the confession of one's sins were carried out. In this uh, fourth chapter, we are given both how the priests and the congregation confess their sins. When either the priest or a congregation Congre- congregationists or congruent sin, they would bring the appropriate sacrifice to make it atonement for their sins. In verses uh, 4, and then we also want to look in the same fourth chapter of Leviticus and look at verse 15. Leviticus four fifteen says, and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before Yehoah, and the bullock shall be killed before Yehoah. So what we see here is that in both the individual as well as when the elders uh, came to confess their sins, they could do it by gesture of laying their hands upon the head of the sacrifice so in verses 4 and 15 of the fourth chapter of leviticus we are told that those who were offering the sacrifice will lay their hand upon the head of the sacrificial animal in this gesture of laying one's hand upon the head of the sacrifice we are told in Leviticus 16.21 as to what this meant. So let us turn to Leviticus 16.21. Now here in Leviticus 16.21, again, we see the same process, but it goes into somewhat of of a more detail. It said, And Aaron shall lay both hands, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head, Of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So here we see that it's saying that when they laid their hand upon the head of the sacrifice. Uh, that Aaron confessed over the goat all the iniquities and transgressions and sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. At this juxtaposition, what we want to do is to look at the significance of the laying on of the hands of the head of the live goat and confessing one's sins. and laying on of the hands of the person or the priest upon the head of the sacrifice and confessing sins of the individuals or the entire congregation of Israel appears to be a symbolical gesture of transferring one's sins to that of another. Consequently, when the sins of the repentant were confessed over the head of the animal, a number of processes are taking place. Let us go through these processes piece by piece by comparing the typical with the antitypical. So when we look in there and we see the hands being laid on the head, we want to see what is the significance of this. Now first, the first thing we want to do uh, as we look at this process, in this particular first phase of confession, uh, and this is this is quite basic. We want to understand this first. The bringing of the animal sacrifice has a significance of which we will look into. Now, why couldn't the repentant sinner just come to the priest and confess one's wrong and go on one's way? No, no, no. It required much more than this. What we must understand is that every sin committed in this universe must be accounted for and given both a sentence and a penalty. The sentence and a penalty for all sin was the same for Israel as it had been for our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they violated Jehoah's covenant. Now let's 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 go to Genesis chapter two, and we want to look at a couple of verses there. We're we'll trying to look at this sacrifice. Why they needed a sacrifice, and that's Genesis, and we are considering chapter two. And here in the second chapter of Genesis, we want to start with verse number uh, sixteen. Genesis 2, 16. And here it says, And Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So when we read that, as Elohim spoke to Adam, He was given him the covenant, and the covenant was in these verses that he could eat of all of the trees in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he was not to eat of it. Moreover, we are told that Elohim explained to them the covenant stipulations that if they ate of the forbidden, that both the sentence of death would be pronounced upon them and the penalty of death would be executed upon them. We know that our first parents knew about the sacrificial system because Yah himself slew an animal and made coats of skins and he clothed them. And we read this in... Genesis chapter 3, and notice what it says in verse number 21. It says, And unto Adam also and to his wife did Yah Elohim make coats of skins and clothed them. So we know that these coats of skins were made from the animal sacrifice that Elohim himself had slain in order to make coats of skin for Adam and Eve. Furthermore, we are told that Cain and Abel offered sacrifices which no doubt they learned from their mother and father, Eve and Adam. So we turn to Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, and we want to read from verses 3 to 5. It said, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Yah, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and Yah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but Unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So the significance of reading these verses was to show that Adam and Eve had been made coats of skin by Elohim, and that we see that Cain and Abel also gave some sacrifices, and as we pointed out, they... They learned it from their mother and father, Adam and Eve, how to sacrifice. Now, when we turn to Genesis 3.15, notice what it says. Genesis 3.15. It says here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. You shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now here in Genesis 3.15, he's talking about putting enmity, and when you talk about enmity, you're talking about hatred. He says he's going to put hatred between thee and the woman, talking about Satan and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. You see, the woman would have a seed, and Satan would have a seed. And even though... Satan's seed would come through the woman, yet we know also the Messiah would come through the woman. And eventually, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would meet. And the promise was that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent would bruise the heels of the seed of the woman. But this was a promise that was given that when our first parents sinned that they broke the covenant, but yet in breaking the covenant, Elohim had promised to send a Messiah. Now in such a promise was given the coming of the Redeemer and he would be the ransom for both the fallen couple and their offspring. This coming Messiah, Redeemer, would be the one to both give and account for all sins committed and carry out both the sentence and the penalty of death. He would be the ransom for fallen mankind to supply the perfect life of obedience to atone for the guilty race. Therefore, when the repentant brought the animal sacrifice, it was indicative of the fact that one couldn't atone for oneself. One had to have a perfect person to stand in one's place, and that perfect person was the promised Redeemer spoken of in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 speaks about the coming Messiah, and throughout the Bible up until Yeshua had come, it had prophesied, in Genesis three fifteen, that he would come, and he would have a hatred between that would be a hatred between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Consequently, when we fast forward from the animal sacrifice in type to the human sacrifice in antitype, it brings us to our Messiah, Yeshua. Okay. So what we want to do is, uh, is, is to turn to Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, we want to look at the 53rd chapter, Isaiah 53. Okay, in Isaiah 53. Now, here in Isaiah 53, it speaks about the coming Messiah. And here it says, in verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4, we're going to read a number of verses here. It says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him, stricken of Elohim, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So what we are seeing here in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying that Messiah would come, and when he would come, it says he would carry our griefs and our sorrow, and he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. In other words, when the priests laid their hands upon the head of the sacrifice and confessed their sins, they confessed them over an uh, animal. But Isaiah saying the coming Messiah that was spoken of in Genesis 3.15, he would come and he would be wounded for our transgression and he would be bruised for our iniquities. So we see still the prophets... The prophet Isaiah was prophesying that Yeshua would come to be the one to be the ransom and to take our place and to die for us. Now, let us turn to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we want to look at the first chapter, and we want to consider verse 29. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. In verse 29, it said, The next day John seeth Yeshua coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, the Lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. So here in this particular verse, it is telling us that John beheld Yeshua coming, and when he saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of Elohim, that taketh away the sin of the world. Now when John says the Lamb of Elohim, this takes us all the way back to what Isaiah says. Moreover, it takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that Elohim promised the first parents that because they sin, he would send them the sacrifice. And John is beholding the sacrifice, and he calls Yeshua the Lamb of Elohim. In other words, the whole purpose of Elohim sending his son was to die for sin and so John is saying the lamb of Elohim and this lamb that has come he is to take away the sin of the world now how is it that we cannot atone for our own sins we have committed why do we need Yeshua to atone for our sins we are going to answer this question in a twofold way In order to see why it is that we need a ransom in our behalf. What we'll do is to explore the atonement process without a ransom and proceed to explore the atonement process with a ransom. So let us consider the first question, an atonement without a ransom. If we were to come to Yah without a ransom, this would mean that we would have to be served the sentence and receive the penalty for the sins we have committed. So we would ask ourselves the question, first, we would ask the question, if we atone for ourselves, what would we have to do? second question we would ask, we would ask the question, what does atonement mean? Now, let us start with our first question. What would would we have to do to atone for ourselves? In other words, in days of old, if they came to the sanctuary and didn't have any offering uh, to offer up, could they atone for themselves? Could we today atone for ourselves? if we were to approach Elohim and say to him, we would like to atone for our sins without any ransom, he would say to us that all sin is punishable to death. And if you do it yourself, then you would have fulfilled the claims of the law. The law within Yehoah the law, in which the law which jehovah has given states that the sentence and the penalty for breaking the law within the covenant would be death. This covenant was given to our first set of parents in Eden when Elohim explained it to Adam. Now, when we go back, to Genesis chapter 2 in verses 16 and 17. We'll reiterate the covenant again. Okay. Now the covenant, the covenant states in verse 16, it says, And Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was the covenant. If they obeyed, they live. If they disobeyed, they died. So when Adam and Eve made a breach in the covenant, both the sentence and the penalty went into effect immediately. Man was destined to die. Consequently, when they sinned by eating of that which was forbidden, they paid with their life. And in doing so, they satisfied the claims of the law, which says a lawbreaker must die, and that they, and that they did. And by them dying for their violation of breaking the law of the covenant, they satisfied what the law demanded, which was death. Yes. By them dying for being covenant breakers, they justified what Elohim's law demanded, which was death. Some may say that because one dies in order to receive just compensation for breaking the law, that one has done what was required to atone for, for oneself. Now, while it is true that one can die to fulfill what is required by the law by dying oneself, but one must understand that when one dies for what one does, it is an eternal death. So even though we may make the choice die for the sins we have committed in order to satisfy both the sentence and the penalty of death. Yes, we have justified and given to the law what it is that the law requires when one breaks it. We have done that when we die. However, the difference being is that self-atonement and a ransom atonement leads to different results. Now let us go to the second question we posed earlier, which is, what does atonement mean? What does it mean? When we study the atonement from Yah's covenant, his atonement involves his, his atonement involves going beyond ourselves. You see, when we bring ourselves, we are sinful, and we will die. We can atone for ourselves, but we will never have life again. Yah's atonement goes further than us dying to justify ourselves. In self- atonement, we can die for our sinful actions, but after that, will be barred from eternal life. The significance of Yah's atonement is not only to die for sin to satisfy both the sentence and the penalty of the law. In Yah's atonement, we now, we not only experience the doing away with both the sentence and the penalty of death, but we are given eternal life. He takes our eternal death in exchange for eternal life. Consequently, the way Yah defines the means of atonement is to remove the sentence and the penalty of which causes death and to continue living. To be atoned for means to be reconciled to Elohim. This means that one is at one meant with him. To be at one with Elohim means there are no sins in the life, in our life, which would separate us between him. So when we have his atonement, we have a sacrifice that between that stands between us and our creator. And when we do that, then we are free from sin because the sacrifice that is going up in our behalf is a spotless sacrifice. So the question we ask is: how do we obtain a sinless state of existence? of which we can be accepted by Elohim. We do this by accepting the ransom Yah has provided for us. Just as in the typical phase of one's confession, the repentant had to bring a sacrifice, even so, in the antitypical phase, a sacrifice had to be provided. This antitypical sacrifice was not an animal sacrifice. It was a person. Now, Paul tells us uh, something about the living sacrifice of the person Yeshua. So we want to turn into the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we want to look at chapter nine, Hebrews chapter nine. And we want to look at verses 12 through 14. And see what Paul says about our sacrifice. That's Hebrews chapter 9. And we want to start with verses, verse 12 and read through 14. Here Paul says in the ninth chapter, verse 12 and following, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to Elohim, your conscience from dead works to serve the living Elohim. So Paul tells us that it was not the blood of animals, but the blood of the Messiah, Yeshua, which atoned for the life of our sins. So we see in an antitypical fulfillment that They didn't have to bring an animal. Yeshua was offered to the world in order to give his life a sacrifice for us. So in order to atone for our sins, there had to be a perfect sacrifice to stand in our place to give to Elohim and his law what is required. Once this perfect sacrifice was gotten, the repentant now had what was needed to sacrifice one's sins over. So when they brought that lamb, which was an innocent lamb that was perfect, without spot or or blemish, it it was a type of the antitypical Yeshua who would be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He would be without sin, or iniquity or transgression, he would be free from all of that, just like the lamb was pure, Yeshua was also pure. In type, the repentant confess one's sins over the head of an animal sacrifice, however, in antitype, sins are to be confessed over the head of the human sacrifice, Yeshua, our Messiah. So now. What we want to look at is is that he was uh, he was our sacrifice, and all of the animal sacrifices pointed to Yeshua. That's what they were pointing to, and as they pointed to him, then it was pointing to our ransom. So we want to use a text found in First Timothy, and we want to use chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we want to look at verses 5 and 6, and it says, for there is one Elohim and one mediator between Elohim and, man, and men, the man, the Messiah, Yeshua, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So here we are told that Yeshua came from his Father to be a ransom for us, for all mankind. And if we would accept that sacrifice, then we would be accepting a pure, holy, and a righteous life to atone for us. Okay. Now, when we, uh, when we looked at uh, the sacrifice of the animals, they pointed toward the sacrifice of the Messiah. So we ask the question, why are the sins confessed over the head of the sacrifice? It says that when they came to the sanctuary, they took their hands and they put it on the head of the sacrifice and they confessed their sins. So what is the significance of putting their hands on the head and confessing their sins? In order to answer this question, let us read Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Okay, Isaiah. And in Isaiah, we want to look at chapter 1, and then we want to look at verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, 8, and verse 18. Now, here in the 18th verse of the first chapter of Isaiah, It says, come now, and let us reason together, said Yehoah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool." Now, here in Isaiah 118, he says, come now, and let us reason together, say it. Yah. Here YAH says to us, Come, let us reason together. When we reason with someone, we use our minds, our intelligence, our brain, and or our cognitive faculties. The things he wants to reason with us on is our sins. He says, Our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What we experience in this cognitive conversation is that when we deal with salvation, Yah wants us to understand what it is that we doing. He doesn't just want us to ex- accept book, line, and sinker everything that we do in salvation without an understanding. He says, come, let's reason together. And in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 1, he is saying, come, let us reason together about our sins. He reasons with us. This reasoning goes on in our head. He wants us to intelligently understand that if we accept his sacrifice for our sins, what he can do for us. When we accept the sacrifice of his son, he can exchange a red life of sin for a white life of righteousness. So this is this is what is saying so the first phase in confession is is that we must have the right sacrifice which is Yeshua and when we got that sacrifice he said let's reason so when we reason we reason from our heads and so the reason why we put the hands on the head is because his, his intelligence is imparted to us And our ignorance is imparted to him. Let us understand that when we sin, we do so from our minds first. Our minds have to make up, have to be made up to do what we do. And once our mind is made up, then our hands and our bodily functions carry out what's in our minds. So in order to get redemption, there has to be a change of our minds. And when our minds are changed, then we can be changed. And so when we confess our sins, we're confessing what's on our mind, and we put them on Yeshua. And Yeshua, in turn, gives us the mind that he has. This is why the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua, the Messiah. So it's very important to put the hands on the head. Because the hands on the head means that you are intelligently understanding that when you give up your mind of sin, he gives you his mind of righteousness. Now, let us, let us turn to, uh, in the Psalms, we want to look at the 51st division of the Psalms, Psalms 51. And here in Psalm 51, we want to look at a, a verse there. Psalms and in Psalms, the 51st division, we want to look at verse number seven. Okay, this is David speaking. Okay, David wrote the song. David says here in Psalms 51 and verse 7 He said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. See, like Isaiah says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be like wool. And here David is saying, Purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop was a plant, and it was very bitter. But when one would eat or partake of hyssop, it would cleanse one's internal organs. And so David is saying, spiritually, that purge him with hyssop. In other words, give me the cleansing that I need. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So he is crying out for a cleansing, and this is what the Atonement does. It gives us the cleansing. Now let us turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at chapter number 7, Revelation 7. And here in Revelation seven, 7, we want to look at verse number 14, Revelation seven fourteen. And here it says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here he talks about uh, those who were overcomers and those who had come out of great tribulation. He said, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, we all know that blood. That blood is red, but he said he washed their robes and they made them uh, white in the blood of the lamb. So what we're looking at is that when we get the blood of the lamb, he gives us his pure life and he takes our vile life. You see, that's the way blood works in the human circulatory system. It picks up the elements that should not be in the body and it carries it out and recycles the blood through the heart and as the blood goes through the heart, uh, it is purifying. You see, blood is actually blue. and Then when it picks up oxygen, it turns red and lets it go through the body. So what are you saying here? That when we get the blood of Yeshua or the life of Yeshua, which the blood represents, then what does it do? It cleanses us. And this is why we need to sacrifice. And when we get his sacrifice, then we are able to get the cleansing that we need. So when we confess our sinful life, it goes on the lamb, which is Yeshua, our Messiah, and then his life comes to us. So we are making an exchange, a sinful life for a righteous life. Now let us turn to the book of Luke. We want to look at the book of Luke, and in Luke, we want to look at chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Now, and here Luke chapter 23, we want going to look at start with verse number 39. Luke 23, 39. Now, here what the Bible says. It said one of the male factors, which were Cain railed on him, saying, If thou be the Messiah, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does thou fear Elohim, sin? Thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Yeshua, Yehoah, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Yeshua said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now what we're looking at is that when Yeshua was on the cross, and there were two thieves who died with him. One thief began to mock him and to say, if you be the son of Elohim, you come down off that cross. But the other thief, he says, wait a minute. We are here because of what we've done. But this man has not done anything. And so when he looked at Yeshua, he said, could you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Yeshua said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In other words, he wasn't saying uh, in verse 43 that immediately that day that they would go to paradise together. That's not what he was saying. It's just that when they put the comma in this particular verse, it gives you an impression that when he said that both of them that day would go to paradise, but we know that that wasn't possible because when you follow the narrative on down, Yeshua expired and they put him in a tomb, so he, he didn't go uh, straight to paradise that day. But what he was saying was simply this. He was saying today, in other words, he was saying today, and that's where the karma should have been, because when you read it and it says, Ye and Yeshua said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, comma, that's where it should have been. But instead of putting a comma by after day, they said, Verily I say unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So the comma is actually in the wrong place. But the meaning that Yeshua was saying that I'm speaking to you today, but tomorrow you will be with me in paradise. But the point that we are trying to get is, how there was a dialogue that was going on. It was the thief talking to Yeshua and Yeshua talking to the thief. This conversation was in their heads and they were verbalizing what they were thinking. This is why when our hands are put on the head, it's a symbolical expression of us discussing the salvational process with Yeshua. And he gives us his life, and we give him our life. Now, return to first John. First John, not the gospel, but first John. And we look at first John, and first John tells us this. In first John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says in verse 9 of the first chapter of 1 John if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here it is. When we confess our sins over the head of Yeshua by intelligently understanding that when we come to accept his life as our ransom, he takes our old, vile, sinful, ugly, iniquitous life and gives us his righteous sanctified and holy life to us and we have to confess it to him and when we confess it to him then he takes it and gives us what we need when we confess our sins over the head of yeshua our ransom sacrifice we are transferring our life of sin to him and he is transferring his life of righteousness to the repenter. Now, this is the first phase that we're dealing with, and the next phase that we'll be dealing with uh, to follow up on, on that phase is that we'll be dealing with the slain phase. So that, what we just accomplished was the confessional stage. We have to confess it, and in order to confess it, we must have the right sacrifice, and the right sacrifice is Yeshua the Messiah, the antitypical fulfillment of the sacrificial system that was given in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, it is Yeshua the Messiah. So we'll end with that note there.
0: So uh, when you stated that it was not the blood of the animals, but the blood of Ye- Yahushua, mm-hmm. that... um. Took away the sins. So basically, are you saying the animal stood as a placement until the Messiah came? Yes, that's, that's basically what we meant by the, the, the type.
1: Uh, the animal sacrifice stood in the place. Now, if you recall, where we went all the way back to Genesis, when the first sacrifice that Elohim made for Adam and Eve, he made them coats of covering. And this was to serve a reminder of what they had, had presently done, but also that they could look forward to a Messiah to come. And when Messiah would come, they would no longer
0: need an animal sacrifice. Hmm. Now, also, when um, Cain and Abel uh, decide to give their sacrifices... When exactly did Yahuwah give the orders to say, okay, this is the sacrifice that I want? Because we know he accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. So did it, was it something he handed down to Adam to tell him, okay, this is how you should atone for your sins? Yeah.
1: Uh, in other words, Adam and Eve was
0: given this sacrificial
1: system Mm-hmm. And as they were given to him, they understood the stipulations. And so apparently Cain did not follow, as did Abel. And Elohim's, according to the Bible, had respect. In other words, he accepted Abel's, but he did not accept Cain. So apparently Cain did not follow in the specification of what
0: needed to be offered. Okay. Now, one thing I found that's interesting is that he Yahuwah had cut a covenant way before he cut a covenant with Israel. Mm-hmm. And it was uh he you know because a lot of times we I think we think that when 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 a covenant was made, it was just with Israel, but it seems like the covenant doesn't just apply to Israel. But it applies to all nations. Mm -hmm. You know, being that he gave it uh, in, in, you know, gave a covenant in Genesis to Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. to hand down.
1: Yeah, well, uh, we want to look at two things about the covenant that may go beyond just Israel. Uh, One of the things that we must understand is that. Before there was an Israel, or even a Hebrew, as a matter of fact, uh, Elohim's first covenant was Adam and Eve, who was neither a Hebrew nor an Israelite. Mm -hmm. And so his covenant was given to them. And then when you read on in the Bible, you find out that Yeshua himself, he had uh, a covenant with Israel, and also Abraham, but we find that Abraham, when he was in his sojourns, he made an offering to Melchizedek. Okay, let us turn to Hebrews. In Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter seven, even though it's found in number of places uh, in scripture, in chapter seven, It tells us that uh, in verse 1, it said, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High Elohim, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So in other words, uh, Elohim had Melchizedek, who was neither a Jew nor a Hebrew, he was carrying on the works of Elohim down here on earth, even when Abraham was down here before a priesthood was ever ever formed. So what we're looking at, he had already given his covenant to the nations through Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the order in which Yeshua came. Because if you remember, the only priest that they could have up until the time of Yeshua was those who were from the household of Levi, Mm -hmm. from Aaron's. And Aaron came all the way up and even Elizabeth and John, when they, Elizabeth and Zechariah, when they had John, they were from the order of Aaron, which was the Levites. That's the order they were from. But when Yeshua came, he did not come from a priesthood order from the Levitical uh, priesthood. He came after uh, Judah. And Judah, there was no priest in Judah, but he came after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that's the first thing. So when we see in this world, we see beyond Hebrews and Jews who had never existed that righteousness was still in the earth. And one of the ones that Elohim used was Melchizedek. No but the other thing that we want to be able to put out uh, as well, mm-hmm. I want to turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. Uh, well, look, read verse 8. Okay, and That's some essence in this that we need to deal with uh, as we deal with the covenant sacrifice and when the covenant is given. It says here in Revelation 13, eight, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, in the latter part of this verse, it talks about uh, names which are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, what does it mean? Uh, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, before the foundation of this world was laid, Elohim and his son had sat down, and they said, now, if we make man, there's a possibility that man may sin. So before the foundation was laid, they had a lamb that was slain. Now, what does that mean, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world? It simply means that they had made a plan that if man sinned, that they had a sacrifice to be able to save man. And so before they even began to make this planet and the heavens and the earth and put Adam and Eve upon this planet, Elohim and his son had worked out a plan of salvation. Now, when they made Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, perhaps Yeshua would never have had to die. However, they had a plan that if, Man sin, they had a plan. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the plan that they had made before this world was ever created was the insurance policy that if they sinned, they had a sacrifice. And that sacrifice we spoke about in Genesis three fifteen that he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so that plan was made before ever there was a Jew or a Hebrew that was made by Elohim and his son from the days before
0: the foundation of this world. Okay. And one last question before we wrap up. Uh, You stated that in order for the sins to be taken away, the person needs to be a perfect person. Mm -hmm. Is this why the animal had to be without blemish? Yes, that's right. In other
1: words, uh, when we take in tight the animal, they had to inspect it, make sure it had no disease, no defect, It, it, it couldn't have any blemish. It must be perfect. They must examine the legs, the eyes, and everything. They couldn't bring any lame sacrifice because the sacrifice must be perfect. And when it was perfect, it was representing the life of the Yeshua who would be perfect when he came. And therefore, when we bring a perfect sacrifice, that is the perfect sacrifice that is needed to take our place in order for Elohim to be able to remove the sentence and the penalty of death and also to restore back to us
0: eternal life. Well, on that point, can you uh, take us to the throne of mercy? Okay.
1: Well, love and father again, as we have looked at the confessional stage, we tonight, we confess our sins over the head of the Messiah by intelligence by intelligently understanding the plan of salvation that we need someone who is perfect to die for us in order that we might not only just remove the penalty and the sentence of death, but also to be able to restore in us eternal life. Therefore, we cannot sacrifice ourselves. We need a greater sacrifice than ourselves, which is Yeshua the Messiah. And we thank you that you have given us this Messiah that even though we may die in this world, we can look forward to the resurrection of being with our Savior in the world to come. So thank you for the sacrifice and more. But thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us the things that we need to know. And as we go day by day, help us to continue to confess and to express to you the sins that we have committed, that you can continue to give us the life of Yeshua. So as we impute our sins to you, in future righteousness to us as we impart our sinful life to you that you may continue to impart your life of sanctification to us. And as we go through justification and sanctification, we ask that when you do come, that we may be ready for your appearance as we, along with the loved ones that we love and have prayed for and labored for, and as they accept the sacrifice, we, along with they, would one day Hear from your lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou in truth, the joy of your Jehovah. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake we do pray.
0: Amen. 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 That is our podcast for this week. We want to encourage you to follow our podcast weekly feel free to email us at thescienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions or comments. And as it states in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, not rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, Shalom.